Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on September 18, 2016, on the basis of selected verses from Numbers chapter 11. Recently, I read something that caused me to become very, very nervous about the future of our church. After reading the thing that I had read, the specific thing that caused me to become nervous is that I realized that in the very near future, there's a pretty good chance that we are going to be all out of room for more monkeys. I know, right? What are we going to do about this problem? Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, the specific anthropological principle that I was reading about is sometimes referred to as Dunbar's principle. It's named after an anthropologist named Robin Dunbar who was studying some monkeys when he came to the conclusion that the size of a creature's brain is directly proportional to the size of the social group that that creature will belong to. And so based on what he found with the monkeys, he sort of drew the conclusion that the group of people that a a typical human being can have a valuable and beneficial social relationship with is limited to about 150. In fact, that same principle has been applied not only to individuals in their lives, but even to organizations in their lives. So whether that's a, a business or a military unit or, yes, also a church, The idea is that the maximum number of people that can exist within an organization and things can run smoothly and efficiently without strife and tension developing is about 150. In fact, that that number, the size of that group, is sometimes referred to as Dunbar's number. And since he discovered these things while he was studying monkeys, sometimes that group of people with whom you have A legitimate social relationship is sometimes referred to as your monkey sphere. Now, if Robin Dunbar is right about all of that, it's kind of bad news for a church like ours, isn't it? Especially when you consider what God wants a church to be. You see, God doesn't simply want a church to be a place where a group of individuals all happen to be bonding with their God at the same place and in the same time. No, he wants a church to be a group where those same individuals are actually bonding with one another. Where one person reaches out to make another feel welcome. Where one person encourages another who is down. Where one person comforts another who is sad. Where one person even rebukes and admonishes someone who is going down a path of sin. In other words, where where people have important significant relationships with one another. But what happens when you run out of room for more monkeys? Or what happens in your own personal life when between your immediate family and your extended family and your friends and your co-workers and your classmates, you come here and you're already all out of room for more monkeys? And then there's that person who is new and is still sort of learning how to fit in. There's that person who is going through marital difficulties and and needs someone to talk to. There's that that person who is going down a path of sin and needs to be called back, and, and you know what you're supposed to do. But what if that sphere of people with whom you can have 
significant social relationships, what if that sphere is already completely full? Now, I know with certainty that Moses knew absolutely nothing about Robin Dunbar and his monkeys. And yet it's the very same principle that had Moses just so fed up, so at the end of his rope in the verses that are in front of us today. Here's the situation that was going on. God's people were traveling from the land of Egypt where they had been in slavery up to Canaan, the promised land, the land that God had promised them as their inheritance. And Moses was their leader. He was the leader of the entire nation. Actually, more than that, Moses was a mediator for the people. In other words, Moses represented the people before God, and Moses represented God before the people. Well, unfortunately, more than a few times, the people didn't exactly make it easy for Moses to do his job. Over and over again, they, they complained against God. Over and over again, they rebelled against God. And so as you read through this story of their journey, you find endless times where Moses is needing to plead for mercy to God on behalf of the people and where Moses is delivering some rebuke or admonition, admonition to the people on behalf of God. In the specific case in front of us, you heard that they were complaining about their food, their diet, the menu that God was serving them, right? They were out there in the desert where there was no food at all, and yet God was miraculously providing them with enough food each and every day, this, this bread-like substance that they called manna. But eventually that wasn't good enough. They wanted more. They wanted some meat. And pretty soon that complaint started spreading throughout the whole camp until we're told that Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. Now, when you hear that, don't picture a group campsite over in Blue Mounds State Park. There were a few more people than that. In fact, elsewhere in this chapter, it tells us just how many, that at this point, the nation of Israel consisted of 600,000 men. 600,000 families, probably north of 2 million total people. My quick math tells me that that's a little bit more than 150. And so it's no wonder that Moses was absolutely fed up, absolutely at the end of his rope, why he pleaded with God saying, I can't do this anymore. This is too much for me. Why Moses said, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Now, I'd be willing to bet that while God has not entrusted you with leading two million people through the desert, at times you feel exactly like Moses did. Stretched to the limit, sort of, sort of at capacity with what God has entrusted you to do and the people that he has put around you in your life. In fact, when I, when I think about this Dunbar principle and think about this concept of a, of a sphere that can only fit so many people in it, it reminds me of a balloon. And so we're going to do a little bit of a demonstration this morning, and I need a volunteer who can fill up this balloon for me, who can fill it up nice and big for me. Ember, you want to give it a shot? Okay. So you can stay right where you're at, just fill it up nice and full, and then just hold it at the end so that none of the air gets out, okay? All right. So you haven't been put in charge of two million people, but again, God wants a church to be not simply a place where all of us happen to be bonding with God at the same time. He wants it to be a place where, where those same individuals are bonding 
with one another, where we share each other's joys and burdens and encourage one another. And so each and every Sunday you walk through that door and you are surrounded by all kinds of people, some of whom you maybe already know very well and can talk to very easily, but, but others where that's not the case. Some of whom can, can talk all day long about nice, pleasant, happy things like their latest promotion at work or the junior's latest accomplishment in school or in sports, but, but others of whom who feel like maybe their lives are kind of falling apart and just really need a listening ear and a caring heart. You meet people who have all kinds of things in common with you. People who will talk all day long about the Green Bay Packers just like you will. But then you'll meet plenty of other people who have nothing in common with you. People who will talk all day long about the Green Bay Packers even though that doesn't interest you in the slightest. People who are young like you are young. People who are old like you are old. People who are married like you are married or single like you are single or who have kids like you have kids and people who are none of those things. And I'd be willing to bet that even without consciously thinking about this, plenty of us walk through that door on Sunday morning feeling like perfect. Feeling like this, right? Feeling like our sphere is already full. Feeling like we have reached maximum capacity of the amount of meaningful relationships that we can have with other people. And so the tendency is to do exactly what we want to do with a balloon. When it's full, we want to seal it up, right? We want to tie up the end to make sure nothing gets in and nothing gets out. But then that person who is new and and working on fitting in still doesn't quite fit in. And that person who is discouraged ends up still discouraged. And that person who feels lonely ends up still feeling lonely. Because we've convinced ourselves that there's no more room in the sphere. You know, I think Robin Dunbar was right enough about things and articulated the way human beings work well enough to realize that the way for us to overcome this as a, as a family of believers is not through some motivational pep talk that I can give you, certainly not through some, some sharp and stinging scolding that I can give you today. No, really what's needed to overcome this is divine, supernatural intervention. And thankfully, that's exactly what our gracious God provides for us. After Moses had complained to God that he couldn't carry the burden of all the people, here's what God says. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. So Moses was well aware and accurately aware of his own limitations in caring for all these people. God wanted to show him that he, God, had had no limitations. God took that very same Holy Spirit that equipped Moses to be the leader of the people and he put that same power on 70 other people. Suddenly they too were prophesying. They too were speaking to the people on behalf of God. 
He took that same power of the Holy Spirit and he put it on two other people, Eldad and Medad, back in the camp. And then even when Joshua, Moses' assistant, got jealous and upset about this, what did Moses say? He said, I wish that, that all of God's people had these gifts and these blessings of the Holy Spirit so that they can share in the work of carrying for one another. See, God was teaching his people that the Holy Spirit is not like the last cookie sitting on the plate that all of the kids want to have. It's not the sort of case where the more people who share him, the smaller and smaller he gets until he finally runs out. No, really, the way that the Bible describes the Holy Spirit is that he is more like this candle. You could take this candle and divide it and share it with as many other candles as you would ever want to do. And that candle right there, that flame will not get one bit smaller. In fact, cumulatively, it will only grow. When God provides his Holy Spirit for us to to care for one another, he does so in limitless supply. And friends, that's the very same Holy Spirit that, that God gives us just as generously. The very same Holy Spirit that he sends to live in your hearts. Think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit wants to make his home in your heart. You've seen that place, right? You know what it looks like? You know what it contains? You've seen the times when rather than caring for someone, rather than asking how they're doing, you've, you've simply turned a cold shoulder? You've seen the times when you've rushed to judgments about other people just based on a first impression of what they're like? You've seen all of the times when you've become irritated or annoyed with other people just because they don't think or act quite like you do and maybe even talked about them behind their backs, and yet, and yet the Holy Spirit wants to make his home in your heart. The third person of our triune God, the unapproachable, unfathomable Holy Spirit, wants to make his home in your heart, and it is only because Jesus was able to do for us what even a great leader like Moses could not do. Jesus was able to be the mediator between us and God that Moses could not be. Every time that we sin, every time we rebel, every time we complain, it is not Jesus' job to to take some divine retribution or admonition and, and just deliver it to us the way that Moses would have done. No, when we sin, it is Jesus' job to actually stand in between us and God's anger toward that sin, to shield us from all of God's wrath against that sin by taking that wrath and taking that punishment on himself. It is Jesus' job to go before God on our behalf and not just, not just plead for God's mercy as if it's just kind of a hopeful wish or a prayer, but really to demand God's mercy and God's forgiveness on the basis of what he did for us. To constantly remind our Father in heaven that the death we deserved became Jesus' death on the cross and the perfect life that Jesus lived is now our perfect life as a free gift. That's why the Holy Spirit can come and make his home in our hearts. And in fact, God does this huge favor to us by telling us exactly when and exactly how he does that. 
Every single time we're gathered here to hear his word, God is sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Every time we administer the sacrament of holy baptism, someone is is baptized, God is sending the Holy Spirit into that person's heart. Every time we gather here to receive the sacrament of holy communion, God is sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts. In fact, you know what it reminds me of? kind of reminds me of, a, of an air compressor. Picture an air compressor and you, you hook up some sort of hose to it and then at the end of that hose there's some sort, of, some sort of nozzle. The second you open that nozzle, even if it's just a little bit, what do you expect to hear? Psst, right? The sound of air coming out. And you know that no matter how much air you let out of that nozzle, if you've got an air compressor that works, it will never, ever, 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 ever run out. Every time we hear God's word and make use of his sacraments, he is pouring the Holy Spirit into our hearts. So here's the part of the sermon where we kind of pull together all of these details and wrap everything up in one nice picture. So here we've got this balloon that's full, right? Absolutely full, stretched to the limit. We have relationships with and are caring for as many people as we possibly can. But then through his word and sacraments, God is like this air compressor, with this nozzle at the end, and he hooks up to the balloon and he blows more and more air in. More and more and more and more and more and more and more until it finally... I'm starting to think I should have thought that through a little bit more. But on second thought, the only way that that's a problem, the only way that the balloon is eventually going to break is if we never let anything out, right? And that's exactly what God wants us to do, that as he fills us up with joy and peace and love through the Holy Spirit... We have the ability to let those very same things out and share those very same things with one another. Robin Dunbar was right enough in what he said, and yet God completely changes our perspective on those things. That what fills us up, what causes us to really be stretched to our limits is not what other people need from us, but what our God graciously brings to us and supplies to us. The love, joy, peace, and hope that we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we can be confident that as we, as we let our air out, as we share a generous supply of those things with other people, the supply that God uses to fill us back up will never run empty. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.